0: Glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn on ready. Do you got your pop on ready? I came like the womb eyes ready. And he's in the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored
1: if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me, Lee. Only they tackle them at the corner. yard Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. <laughs> <laughs> I can. What's going on guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast brought to you guys by the Full Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTFPodNet on Twitter and on FullTimeFantasy.com. You can find me at SportsFanaticMB and of course Dennis Bennett at Culture underscore Coach. On FullTimeFantasy.com, you can find a ton of other great podcasts, not just us. You can find Mr. Jim Day of FF Champs, Adam Ronis, and Dr. Roto from XM, Bob Long of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Anthony Servino of FF Face-Off, and many, many others. Definitely check them out. We are a growing and continually just getting even better, awesome network. All a bunch of great podcasts with different kinds of styles and formats based on all different parts of fantasy football. So be sure to check those out for any and all your fantasy football information. Today's episode, guys, we're going to be doing a little bit of sleeper talk. Now, I know when you really think about fantasy football, especially with nowadays with all the information, podcast articles, writings, I mean, just different, I mean, what, hundreds, probably thousands of different sites. There's no such thing as really an NFL sleeper anymore. Yeah, we did have Philip Lindsay last year and that's right, your boy right here sitting to you talking on the mic on the ones and twos. Mr. Maddie. B told you guys back in July, I believe it was last year on the back row fantasy show that Philip Lindsay was going to be a fantasy asset in Denver. Now, I did not think that he would be the starter in Denver. I will I will I will admit to that. Uh, I did talk him up a lot, but I thought that he would be splitting time with Royce Freeman. Now, I'm going to do a lot more in the receiving game, which he's already talked about wanting to do more this year, so I'm excited to see what he can do. But back on to the actual discussion we were having, which was sleepers. So there is really, it's kind of hard to predict if there are going to be sleepers in the fantasy game now, again, with so much coverage on fantasy football. However, today's episode... What we're going to be doing is just talking about sleepers. We'll give a little bit of a talk on what we consider sleepers here with Dennis. Uh, obviously, we'll be talking about some breaking not breaking news, but news around the NFL as well today. So that that is today's episode. So let's go ahead and jump Dennis on here and we'll talk about some sleepers or for us, some sleepers in fantasy football. <laughs> what's going on dennis how was your weekend
0: oh my weekend was filled with tiling the floor and having to go work my real job i gotta tell you i'm sore enough today that i think i would have rather work my real job than tiled the floor
1: <laughs> yeah i saw the uh i saw the picture uh, that you posted up on twitter it looked very good I, I did agree with jared the the picture was a little tilted so but hey you know to each their own i i hope that uh I hope that you like it. I think you responded back with something like, you are tilted or something. I can't remember. But, yeah, yeah. it looked very well.
0: I, or looked good. I was tilted. Yep.
1: Yeah, it did look awesome. Oh
0: gosh. Gentlemen, welcome to Las Vegas. That-
1: As uh, we've been mentioning here in the past couple of episodes, we just want to remind you guys that we will be at the Fantasy Football World Championships from September 5th through 8th, uh, we will be recording live from Radio Row. We'll be recording the podcast and doing some live stuff on Twitter from the Radio Row, the FFWC in Las Vegas at the Palms Resort on September 6th and 7th.
0: Remember, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Ah! Uh... <laughs> Except for herpes, that shit'll come back with you. Some guys just can't handle Vegas.
1: So, hope hopefully we will see you guys. Maybe there, or at least you guys will be tuning into the Twitter show. We'll be taking some live questions, and might see if we can't get any other, you know, famous fantasy football people in the industry who might be there as well to jump on the show with us. As, as all that stuff will kind of be coming together while we're there, so we are both excited about that. With that being said, let's jump into the the news and the NFL news that has happened over the past couple. While
0: back, and there actually be real news coming out. Oh, I know. Oh.
1: We, we survived the dead
0: period, and now
1: we are finally able to talk about the actual NFL. It's, it's going to continue like that for, throughout, through what, what do we got, through February? So it's, oh, it's so glad. I'm so glad it's back. It's, it's, it's been rough. I'll, I'll admit that.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen.
1: All right, so for the starters on the breaking news that happened, I believe sometime Friday afternoon, Tyreek Hill is not getting suspended. I think that is a a pretty big deal for fantasy. Everybody was thinking he was going to get at least a four-game suspension, I would think, at least that was a lot of the talk. Anybody who's looked into the NFL NFL policies, there are stuff in there for uh, verbal and emotional abuse. A lot of people thinking... What he said on the phone call, myself included, was verbal and emotional abuse with him telling her that she should be scared of him as well. Um, Obviously, we saw Jimmy Smith got suspended, I believe it was last year, four games for something like that, where he came at his girlfriend and emotionally abused her, didn't actually put his hands on her. But things that he said and did to her, uh, he got a four-game suspension. Um, A lot of talk about it today, obviously, um, and the fact that the NFL just could not prove anything. Uh, They obviously had the tape, um, but that was it. Uh, His girlfriend, which I cannot remember what her name is, uh, refused to cooperate with the NFL. Apparently, all of her friends and family refused to cooperate with the NFL, so it was pretty much his side uh, against nothing. It was pretty much what he said is what the NFL had to go with, so... In that part of it, I somewhat understand why they didn't suspend him, yet I think, again, and I hate having this. It seems like we have these discussions every year. I know me and you have had this discussion multiple times now. Um, I think the NFL got this one wrong. Uh, I'll, I'll just jump on my, my, I guess, high horse really quick on this about it, and then we can leave it alone after obviously we get your your thoughts on it as well. I think they should have at least suspended him for four games if the – you know, the the NFLPA wanted to come back and fight that ruling and get it reduced. Fine, good on them. That's what they're supposed to do. They are the NFLPA for that reason. Let the courts overturn it. I think, again, the NFL and Roger Goodell ends up with egg on his face for this. I mean, they suspended. Take the Ohio State Buckeye bias out of it because I know some people will say this when I say it. They suspended Zeke for six games for much less and and with a less credible witness uh, as she had texts and exchanges that pretty much went completely against what she said did happen because she was just trying to get money from Zeke. Uh, We had police reports on that saying that Zeke did nothing wrong, and yet they said just based on circumstantial evidence and what they saw and read, they suspended Zeke for six games. Uh, You heard Tyree Kill threaten his girlfriend and yet got nothing. So uh, I think they really messed it up here. I honestly can't believe that he didn't get anything, but moving past that point for fantasy, I think that changes nothing for him. Anybody that have been in best ball, dynasty, startups, anything like that that have gotten him in the fourth to sixth, seventh, eighth round where he's been going this past summer, I guess good on you because you just got a top five to ten wide receiver now. That late in the draft, if you bought low on him, your, 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 your move paid off. Uh, you did get lucky on that. I don't think this affects anybody. Um, Ricky Wilson, one of our listeners, sent me a question, wanting to know if he thought this affected anybody in the Chiefs' offense. So I want to touch on that with you after the fact. Uh, I just kind of want to get: Do you have any more thoughts or opinions on the whole suspension thing for Tyree Kill?
0: You know, w- we know what has been reported in the news. Yeah, we know what has been leaked to the press. So. From what we've seen, we can say that uh, Zeke's uh, ex was a less credible witness, but we don't know that. We only know that that's what it looks like to us. True. So I'm not defending uh, what may or may not have happened because I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't seem like, based on things that he's admitted to doing, that Tyreek Hill is a, a fine, upstanding young man, uh, in the words of the uh, five man electric band. So he is, uh, he's probably quite the piece of shit human being. That being said, we don't know what his defense was and what he put out in his defense. It was apparently pretty good. Yeah. That's really all we can surmise. its It's really easy and convenient to go oh, the NFL and Roger Goodell suck. But, you know, Goodell's a lawyer, and I'm sure he approaches things from a lawyerly perspective when looking at this. And not all cases are equal, even when they may on the surface seem similar. So, yeah, it's kind of crap that from what it looks like to us, he he should have been suspended. But he wasn't. And so, you know, I'm not here to moralize when it comes to fantasy football. If you don't want to own him on your team, then don't. You right. know, it's, it's like gay marriage. If you don't want to get gay married, don't. Yeah.
1: Well, the one thing I'll say, and I don't want to drag this on because I've seen a lot of it today, is that. Something that the players have complained about for the past couple of years and that they gave Roger Goodell all the power. And I, I do understand what you're saying and him being a lawyer. And Tyreek hill defense, again, it, it almost – I would think it almost doesn't matter how good his defense was because, again, he was arguing against himself. Nobody else came to the other side of the argument. So the NFL only had his side of the story pretty much. So it is hard – it is hard to prove that he did something wrong if he's the only one there because I imagine he didn't show up there and say, oh, yeah, I broke the kid's arm. No, he probably said exactly what the uh, fiancé said after the fact and that she did it. So if she's saying that and that's the only reason they're coming after Tyree Kill, it is going to be hard to. The one thing I'll say on that, and maybe maybe I am being a little too harsh on Roger Goodell. That I, I, I'm fine if that's the way people want to look at it. Well, but he
0: makes himself into a clown punching bag. so
1: That is true. However, the the one thing I'll say it goes back to what I was just saying with him having all the power is regardless he could have at least suspended him for four games in my opinion because that is the that is the limit that they they kind of made with the whole Jimmy Smith thing and then again if, if the NFLPA wanted to fight it and it gets reduced I still think Roger De- Roger Goodell comes out looking good because. Then everybody looks at it, well, no, the NFLPA fought it and won because it, it doesn't matter what Roger Goodell thinks at that point. It goes to a separate judge. So if they fought it and win and then they reduce the suspension, at least everybody's like, well, good on Roger Goodell for at least trying to get him four-game suspension. doesn't matter what happens after that because he has no control over it. So the fact that he just came right out after he's given us – You know, ever since the Ray Rice thing, all these speeches on how they're going to be tougher on these players for domestic violence and all this stuff, and it just seems like every time he's not, I guess is the way to put it, until more evidence comes out. Kareem Hunt, nothing happened until the video came out. Tyreek Hill, you know, apparently the NFL and the Chiefs knew about this whole situation before the audio was released. And then even after that, he still does nothing to me. I just... It's, it's annoyingly frustrating, I guess, is the way to look at it. And, and I, I, like I said, I get it from your point of view, and, and a lot of people have been saying exactly what you were saying, so maybe I am in the wrong in that opinion, but I just feel like he should have done something. If he wants to come off and talk tough about all this stuff for the past couple of years and then do nothing, then just stop altogether. Then why even go through this silly process, in my opinion, if you're not going to do anything?
0: Because you have to go through the process. To determine whether something needs to be done. And if there's not enough evidence based on what they see, not what we see, not what we hear, but what they have access to, and they have access to a lot more than we do. So you have to go through the process, and then you have to make that determination. And I don't agree that he should have just suspended him because it would make the public outcry less and that's the argument that I it sounds like you're making is just suspend him let it be reduced you look you don't look like you're a clown show no he's saying look i'm looking at this evidence that i have and this is the deter- determination i'm making based on this it may or may not be the whole story we don't know so he got he got the case made to him and you, you said something that I think is way overlooked in all of this early on in, in this conversation. You said they gave him the power in the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. So there, it that, that right there. He has to make his decision based on the collective bargaining agreement, what that contract is, what evidence is proposed or, or presented. And, and that's what he did. We may not like it. I, I would have preferred for uh, Hill to be suspended, maybe even booted from the league, because this seems like a legitimate issue based on his prior history of choking this girl when she was pregnant. That has been proven in the past that he's committed domestic violence. So, that being said, you know, when you, it, you can't really compare it to Zeke's issue because the, the girl. It with Zeke was trying to get money that's what it seemed like she there were texts that she had sent to friends stating stuff to that effect in this situation there's a child and this girl may not be cooperating to preserve her ability to get money yeah right or wrong you know that could very, very well be an issue you know, if I want to collect child support, do I want to collect it from somebody making eight fifty at the local Sitco, or do I want to collect it from somebody who's making $125 million a year or on a, a contract?
1: Oh, God, that's such a horrible way to look at it. But I get what you're saying. I don't disagree.
0: You know, I don't disagree. Well, no, no, we're cynical anymore. Everybody is a cynic. I agree. You no, know, no, I agree we see you. so much bullshit going on, and it's easy to look at every scenario and go lowest common denominator on it.
1: I, I agree with you that that's likely what's happening, and it, I think we even talked about it when this happened, that that's the likely scenario because when all this audio came out and she talked about how he was the one who injured – their son and then all of a sudden it seemed like oh well now Tyreek kill is not even they, all the talk was he wasn't going to be in the league anymore and then her position completely reversed so i understand that it, it's it probably had something to do with the money um something you you touched on there uh that i do want to talk about that is the most important part is that the kid is okay obviously we haven't even brought him up yet until right then when you did uh that that is all in all honestly the most important part of this whole story is that the kid is is going to be okay um he, you know I don't know if if Tyree Kill and his girlfriend are fit parents or not. I've never seen them. Don't know, um, but I know that he is not in their custody anymore. So if they, I guess, are decided that they are good parents again, and he's able to go back in their custody, good for them and good for the kid. But as of right now, the kid is going to be okay, and that is the most important part of the story. Uh, you know, I don't want to make a whole podcast about this, so we'll 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 move on from that part. No easy transition really into the next story. Um, but so Jarvis Landry was asked about the Duke Johnson controversy over the past couple weeks with what um, with what he had given in the interview when the Browns camp first opened up to the Baker Mayfield's rebuttal, which kind of got a lot of talk in in the NFL and around it with the way he handled it and not going after people's money kind of talk. Um, Jarvis did come out and say that it isn't a distraction at all and and it won't be. Uh, for the Browns year. I just wanted to bring that up as as Landry being one of the leaders of the team addressing that because I do think the fact that he has to address that is a little bit of a distraction Uh, and this is a team that I think doesn't need any distractions right now because they've got enough on their plate. Add in the Odell Beckham story that dropped earlier today with GQ where he just will not shut up about the New York Giants which I'm going to be honest is starting to get a little annoying Uh, in my opinion as a a huge Browns fan and then honestly a huge Odell Beckham fan. I think he really just needs to let the Giants go. He has not played for them anymore. He plays for the Browns. He really, I think personally, if he's asked about the Giants anymore in interviews, just needs to be like, hey, you know what? I play for the Browns now. I've talked enough about the Giants. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop talking about him because he, he almost sounds like a scorned lover. Um, and like I said, in my opinion, it's getting a little bit annoying. We are already almost into August, and you're still talking about the team that traded you. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the Duke Johnson or, or the Odell uh, GQ article that came out today?
0: Well, I, I didn't read the article. Um, I I agree that uh, with, with from Jarvis's perspective, it's not an issue because Jarvis has a deal. Yeah. So for him, it's not an issue. Baker has a deal. OBJ has a deal. You know, Duke wants a deal and it's you know the old unwritten rule you don't talk about other people's money well, and Baker broke that unwritten rule.
1: Duke has a deal. Well, he remember he got paid last year. He signed for I think 3 more years or 2 more years with well, the season.
0: Yeah, but he want he, he he's he's He wants out. His playing time is diminished yeah, 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 yeah. and so he wants out. You know, he he knows he's not going to get another deal if he kind of rides the pine here in Cleveland. He's not going to get another deal of any consequence. But so he he he's not I don't think Duke is trying to force his way out by being a pain in the ass, but I think he's just stating matter of factly uh hey, I, I wanna go somewhere where where I'm appreciated enough to that I'm gonna get playing time. Honestly though, I don't think Duke is good enough that he's gonna get that. Duke's an okay player. He's a a good NFL player, but he's not, you know, a top-tier back. He's not a second-tier back. You know, he's a middle-of-the-road receiving back, Uh, maybe above-average receiver but below-average runner. Uh, And so he's going to, you know, have to fight for his opportunity. You know, should Baker have come out and – You know, I got to be honest. When when you talk about OBJ and the Giants, we're going to hear about the Giants because OBJ, you know, if you thought he was going to change when he came to Cleveland, that was naive. No. Him and Baker are loudmouths. That's what we love about them. Yeah. They run their mouth and they back it up. So get used to it. It's going to be a, a, you know, welcome. You know, Sideshow Bob is in town, and that's what it's going to be. We're just – we're just gonna have to hope that they keep winning because if they don't then it then that becomes a distraction but they've got to start winning and they're gonna have to keep winning if they don't then you're, you' then it's gonna get messy but that's who they are and that's what they do uh o b j is gonna keep talking about the Giants because he is a spurn lover he he is upset he i is he you know, does he hate Cleveland? No, but Cleveland ain't New York City. Yeah, that's And you know, the media market is substantially smaller. The nightlife is substantially smaller. You know, he's going to he's going to get paid and he's going to have a decent career here in Cleveland. But he's got to stay healthy. Uh I I kind of understand the move by uh by New York. You know, they they're rebuilding and and uh you know do you need a headache there he, he's kind of the antithesis of Saquon Barkley so move him out build your team around Barkley now you've got a young quarterback that you were able to get so you know they are who they are OBJ and Baker are both kind of loud mouth guys it's only a distraction when you're losing
1: yeah um, so, I mean, I didn't have any issues at all with what Baker said. Uh, I know we actually talked about it at the time that it happened. Um, again, I, I get where some of the supposed NFL players and veterans are coming from, from I think it was Mike Silver who reported it Um you know, Mike Silver is, is notably someone who does not like Cleveland at all and talks a lot of crap about Cleveland. Uh, so a lot of people are talking about how that might not be a true story. It did get a lot of steam. I, you know, I don't know. I was not, I'm not in the Browns locker room. I don't know if that did or didn't happen. I could see it happening because there is kind of a, you know, one of the unwritten rules of the NFL. You don't talk about a player and their money. Uh, I agree with you. I don't think anything Baker said was against that. Duke's already been paid, and now he wants out. And from everything I heard, because I listened to the interview, Baker pretty much said, if you don't want to get on this train, then get out of here because we don't want you here. That's not saying anything about his money or his contract. He's saying, hey, dude, like, you already got paid. You're under contract. Just get with the program. I'm sorry that you don't get to play. You're not as good as Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And it's not its not like he was saying something that's not true. He isn't. And we've already talked about this many times. We, we talked about it with the fantasy uh, football uh, under guys. I don't want to – give away necessarily our takes on there because those episodes haven't released yet, but definitely check out that episode when it does because uh, we kind of both give our takes on what we think is going to happen with Duke and the Browns. Um, and as for the OBJ thing, I I do get what you're saying, and he is a loud mouth. I did not expect him to change at all when he came to Cleveland, but we have seen him kind of hold back a little bit on the press conferences and everything, especially after the whole uh, field goal the, the kicking net thing crap that happened a couple of years ago, whenever that was. Um, and even last year, for the most part, up until the interview with Josina Anderson, and I don't remember who the rapper was that was with him and why they were even there interviewing with him. But he really hadn't given or said anything controversial up until that point. My only point is I, get, I completely get him being upset about being traded away from New York City because you're right, Cleveland is not New York City. Um, I, I agree with stuff the Baker has said. I think he's going to be loved more in Cleveland than he was in New York City just based by well, the way the fans are going to treat him and everything, regardless of how good they are. They're going to love him because of the show he'll put on. But I do think that it's kind of getting to the point where it's like, all right, man, like you, just, you need to stop talking about the Giants. And maybe that's just my opinion. It's not anything that I think he's doing wrong. It's not like he wh- – I haven't read the full article, but I did read parts of the article and what he talked about with the Giants. And what he's saying is not wrong. He is right in his assessment of the New York Giants. I just say, dude, we're almost to the start of the 2019 season. You are no longer on the New York Giants. Just stop talking about the New York Giants, I guess is the way I look at it. Like, it's a business, players get traded. I'm right there with you. Whether he would have gone to Cleveland or any other team, I think it was a smart move by the Giants. I think they should have gotten more back. I think we all think that, if we're being honest. They should have gotten a lot more back than what they got for him. But it was a smart business move for them because he is a headache, and they probably don't want to build around him because they have Saquon. You can get wide receivers in other drafts and stuff like that. So I get the move. I just think he needs to stop talking about him. Uh, Last but not least, uh, Julio Jones. I just wanted to touch on this really quick for anybody who might be worried about it. Uh, There were talks about him. uh, Last year he held out for a little bit uh, wanting a new contract, ended up coming to camp. He has come out and said that he is not going to hold out or anything. He will be in camp for the season and and start the season, even though there is no new deal in place. Uh, The Atlanta Falcons front office has, I guess, almost assured him that some kind of deal will be, given to him at some point in time this year, but they wanted to take care of a couple of their defensive players before they got to him, but he is next on the list. So no worries there about him holding out of camp. Um, do you want to touch on the Zeke news really quick before we finally get into what this episode's supposed to be about um, with him possibly holding out from camp if he doesn't get a new deal?
0: Yeah, I. you know, first Julio. Julio has shown that uh, he's probably, if he is going to hold out, Uh, you're probably not going to know about it until the day it happens. He's going to let the team know what's going on. Here's where I'm at. I need you to take care of this. And if they say we can't or if they make a good faith gesture that, hey, we can get to it at this point, you know, then Julio's Julio's going to show up and play Uh, Zeke. Zeke's not going to hold out. Um, He can't. Honestly, if he holds out. He has to report by, what is it, August 6th or something like that? Yeah. Uh, if he doesn't report his contract tolls, he loses a year towards free agency, so it doesn't serve him any purpose to hold out. He doesn't, he, he doesn't save his body or shorten the length of his time in Dallas because his contract just tolls. So uh, he's not holding out this year. He's threatening to be a pain in the ass, basically. And, you know, he's uh, – honestly, he's probably the, the third on the totem pole behind Dak and Amari because running backs have a shorter shelf life. They're more dispensable. Uh, they're disposable. And, you know, he's not going to get what he wants, I, I I don't think. He'll probably get franchise tagged. He's probably the one next year that's most likely uh, to be franchise tagged. Yeah. You know because he's gonna get 250 carries 275 300 carries uh, and you know it's the position that that takes the beating so he'll break down sooner so they're not gonna invest long term you know for whatever it's worth that's just not what teams do you, you know offensive linemen and defensive linemen you know spend all their time beating on each other but You can play offensive line for 15 years at a high level. Very rare is a running back playing at a high level for 15 years. Yeah.
1: um, Yeah, I don't think he's going to hold out for the entire year like Le'Veon Bell is, but he is threatening to skip all of camp and possibly miss some games. Uh, You know, we dealt with this with Le'Veon last year. I believe he's got to come back by like week 10 or something like that, which I do think if he does do any kind of holdout like that, it's going to affect the Dallas Cowboys because I think they are obviously a... I mean, I would I would think it's fair to say 10 times better team with Zeke on the field than when he's not. I mean, I like Mike Weber. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know much about Tony Pollard, uh, but I don't see either one of those guys being able to do what Zeke can, even behind an offensive line, as good as that offensive line is. Um, I, I And I don't disagree, though, with what you're saying on Zeke. He likely, unfortunately, is the third best. I mean, if it were me... Again, taking my bias out of it, I would pay him. It would be hard to. I don't know if you could find a way to make him a deal that's less than Todd Gurley's. I would imagine he wants more. But I think out of those three, I would rather have him over Dak or Amari. I I don't believe in either one of those players like I do Zeke. So that's just my opinion on that, but uh, I agree with you. Likely, it's not going to go down that route because they could draft a running back next year. Or the year after, and try and get uh, and get close. To, well, I shouldn't say close to the production, but find players or running backs that can try and produce as close to what Zeke is producing there for cheap, because it's just going to keep. Pro- the running back position is going to keep churning out more players every single year, just what we get from college and everything going into the NFL.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a, a unfortunate thing that. While the position provides a lot of value on the field, um, because of the lack of longevity at it, it's it's a difficult position to invest in. Yeah.
1: Oops. All right, so that's going to do it right there for our breaking news segment. Um, we today are going to be talking about, as I mentioned a little bit in the intro, some sleepers. And again, I understand that sleepers is kind of a, a hard word to use nowadays in fantasy football with the amount of coverage that it gets. Uh, but the way that we're going to do it is going based on ADP. So we're going to attack each position today and go with players that have a ADP of lower than uh, or higher than a hundred. So guys that you can get after the tenth round. Um, that we think are going to bring back immense value. Uh, all these ADPs are based on the FFWC, and we will be talking about this is more of a redraft discussion today than anything to do with Dynasty. So we're going to start at the quarterback position, and one of the guys that I have highlighted here is a guy a lot of people think uh, has a chance to win the MVP this year in Carson Wentz. He is going at an ADP of 113. Dennis, what do you think about Carson Wentz and him going as low as he is right now in drafts?
0: Well, he it may seem low at 113, but he's going as quarterback seven. So I don't know if it, it, it's low from the overall draft standpoint, so that's a one-quarterback format. It's probably fairly appropriately valued. If you look at, you know, the big four quarterbacks, you've got, uh, what, uh, Mahomes, Luck, uh, Baker, or Watson, Rogers, Baker is probably the fifth. Yeah. Uh, Matt Ryan, who doesn't seem to get any respect.
1: Well, Matt Ryan, so really quick, Matt Ryan is going as the sixth drafted, but he's actually as an ADP of 92 because I was looking at him, possibly putting him on the list, but then I wanted to do everything, everybody that has a ADP lower over 100. But, yes, the top five quarterback going um, are Mahomes, Luck, Watson, Baker, and, and Rodgers. Those are the top five.
0: So is QB7 out of the – you know, is that somebody you think could what's it gonna take for Wentz to move from QB seven to to the top five or top three? So I don't think he's that far off. So at one thirteen, um I don't know if the, I, I don't know that I'd consider that to be a sleeper. Mm-hmm. Uh I it almost feels like he might be overvalued because uh you know, he, he relies a lot on Zach Ertz. Uh he needs his wide receivers. You know, as much as I like Alshon Jeffrey, um, you know, there's some inconsistency to his game, uh, and and then Wentz gets injured. So I don't know if he's a sleeper. He he may potentially be being drafted based on the ideal scenario that uh, JJ ortega Whiteside will uh, produce early. That Nelson Aguilar will, uh, hit again from the slot. That Jeffrey will stay healthy. That uh, you know Miles Sanders and Darren Sproles will be good pass catchers, and that Zach Ertz will repeat his 900 target season from last year. So, you know, I I, I might put Wentz uh, less a less of a sleeper and more of maybe a touch being overdrafted based on uh, projecting an ideal scenario for him.
1: Gotcha, Yeah. So the reason I have him in the sleeper category is because a lot of the quarterbacks that are going later after the last guy I have on the list, which is Jared Goff at at one forty five, a lot of the other guys I don't really want there. Like there, you know, you got Derek Carr at one sixty two, Dak Prescott. I guess this is kind of interesting at one sixty eight. Sam Darnold at one. What did he? What was he at? One sixty seven. You know. I guess if you're a believer in Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson at 154 is somewhat enticing, uh, but he was one of the guys that is in that hundreds and I would rather have. Like I I think I'd rather take a shot on Carson Wentz at 110 in the 10th round uh, because I do think he's someone who could possibly jump into that top five depending on how good the, the Philly offense is this year.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that, but I, I probably would go – I'm more inclined to go with Jared Goff 30 picks later. Uh, because I, I like his uh wide receiver core so much better, and he's shown that uh, he can he can sustain three very high level wide receivers. Uh, he, he had a he shut the bed in the Super Bowl, and I think that's what a lot of people remember. And a lot of people tend to say, well, he's a system quarterback. But uh, honestly, they're all system quarterbacks. They're all playing in a system. Some just fit their systems better than others. And I think uh, Goff fits his system that Sean McVay has. So I I think I'd rather go with Goff at 145 than Wentz at 110 or 115 uh, for the value that I think I'm going to get. I think they're going to produce... Uh, pretty good numbers, uh, very similar numbers. Now, do I think Goff could end up uh, as a top five quarterback? I don't think he could end up top five. I think he could end up top ten, top eight, maybe. I think he might be able to reach eight. Whereas Wentz being drafted at quarterback seven, uh, for him to pay off, he's he's going to have to finish at three or four.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you on that. But again, that's why I had uh, Goff on there because, again, at 145, you know, the past two years he's produced as a top 8 to 12 quarterback. So that, that's a great value you can get for him there. Um, another guy I threw on there really quick, just I know you are not going to agree with this at all, uh, but it's Kyler Murray with an ADP of 121. He's a guy that I'm big on this year. Um a guy that you could probably take a shot on. I would not take him as my QB1, but someone you might take as your QB2, although he's going as a QB1, so likely you won't be able to get him as a QB2.
0: Yeah, I'd I, i I'd have to be picking him pretty late to go with Kyler Murray. Uh, I'd rather be late to the game. Um, you know, I think he's being drafted at a position where uh, – People are just expecting that he's gonna throw the ball 50 times a game and rush for a hundred yards a game and uh, I don't I don't You know, I don't know if uh, uh, I see a scenario where that's realistic. It's at, at, at 121 he's that's what QB But he's going QB 8 so he's going one 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 quarterback. He's going behind Wentz and in front of Russell Wilson So, you know, I I think I'd rather have Russell Wilson
1: Yeah, I kind of knew you you would go with Russell there
0: Now I don't think Russ is gonna have near the passing volume uh, But I do think Russ is a much more efficient passer and Russ doesn't run as much as he used to so the I I suppose as I talk my way through this then there is a chance that Kyler Murray could finish up there. But I I would rather I you know my dad was used to always say, you know, I'm from Missouri, you got to show me. Cuz I don't know if you know that, but Missouri's state motto is that they're the show me state.
1: I did not know
0: that. So he he was not from Missouri. Uh, my dad anyways so he uh but but murray at, at 121 i'm just not i'm not i don't want to take the risk there
1: i got you fair enough all right let's move on to the running backs so the running backs i think are gonna spur a little bit more of an interesting discussion than the quarterbacks uh i think running back is a lot deeper than people realize uh you know everybody wants to talk about that top tier with uh zeke Barkley, McCaffrey, David Johnson, and uh, who am I missing? Is it Gurley? Do you consider – I don't consider Gurley up in that top tier. So am I missing somebody? Is, is it just those four? Mixon.
0: You,
1: well, Mixon, but Mixon's a guy you can get later. I was trying to think if, if it was the top five. But, no, I guess everybody does kind of want to be in those top four picks. So outside of those guys, I think there's a small drop-off when you get to guys like Mixon and Gurley. And then the drop-off after that, I think that tier is huge. That kind of like tier three of, of running backs. And I think there's a couple of those guys that can kind of come into that territory right here that we're going to talk about. All guys that have a chance to finish as RB2s. I'm going to start with, again, the guy who's getting drafted the highest, which is Naheem Hines with the Colts. Uh, With an ADP of 112, so again, a guy who finished as a high-end RB2 last year. Granted, he did have Marlon Mack out a lot of the year. Uh, Marlon Mack did have a couple of good games in that run, though. Um, And when he did, Naheem Hines did not produce very well. But when Marlon Mack was kind of limited a little bit, Naheem Hines stepped up big time, especially in the receiving game. Your thoughts on Naheem Hines and, and drafting him that late to possibly finish as an RB2 again in 2019?
0: Well, Hines is going as RB45 right now, Yeah. and so that's certainly a bargain. Uh, I, I think he established himself as a, a nice satellite back, and paired with Marlon Mack, there's uh, a good opportunity. The, the only issue that I see is that Mack is a capable pass catcher. He caught 65 passes in college in three years, Um He's not as good a pass catcher as Heinz, but Heinz is, uh, I think Mac is a, is a better pass catcher than, I, than Heinz is uh, a better ball carrier. So that, what that does is it gives you scheme versatility without having to change your personnel. Uh, what was it that Heinz last year, he had like 53 or 63 receptions. Uh, so he, he had a really good year. I do think that, uh, he can equal that.
1: He had 63.
0: 63 receptions. So I do think he can come in around, around that uh, probably fairly comfortably. Uh, I, I feel like uh, with a healthy Marlon Mack and a healthy Jack Doyle, adding Paris Campbell, Devin Funches, So the Chiefs are going to be a very explosive team. And being able to get playmakers on the field and uh, in play is what Frank Reich is going to do. So that being said, uh, I I still think he's in line to get, you know, 55 to 65 receptions. Uh, He he could. they, They could do a very traditional first, second down back, then a third down back. And that could increase his uh, ability uh, to to get touches, but I still feel like you know if he's going to come in with 60 catches this year, uh, that should comfortably put him in the, the RB two range.
1: Yes. So last year he finished his RB 28 in PPR scoring with uh, with 155 points, uh, an average of 10.3 points a year. Uh, as you were just touching or talking about, he got 63 receptions last year. Um, I do think the rushing might go down a little bit. He had 85 rushes for, for 314 yards. But, I mean, all in all, he had a decent season. I, I do agree with you. It's all going to depend on how they decide to use him and Marlon Mack. Uh, but, again, as an I believe you just said he was going as RB 42 or
0: 45? 45. Uh, 45.
1: And RB 45, I'm taking it because I do not think there's yeah. 45 better backs than him in the NFL. Um, so I, I would take that in a heartbeat, especially, again, you're looking at the back half of the 10th round, early 11th round draft pick for a guy that you could probably plug in your flex spot more weeks than not without even a question about it. Again, he, averages 10, he averaged 10.3 points a, a week last year. Now, I, I do, like I said earlier – there were weeks that when Marlon Mack was the guy, Naheem Hines did not put up that many points, and, and you are going to have that. But, again, when you're taking a guy who has a chance to finish as high as, even if he finishes what he did last year, RB28, that, that's a high-end RB3, you're getting him in the flex spot, and, again, he's being drafted as the 45th running back off the board. You're almost getting him at double his value. So so give me Naheem Hines all day. Again, a guy that you can get really late for for some reason. I don't know if it's just the – The belief in Marlon Mack or what's going on there that's driving his price down, but uh, I would take him in a heartbeat there. Uh, The next running back I want to talk about is is one of the guys that you are very high on and a guy who, again, had a a decent year last year, surprisingly. I think a lot of people would be surprised to find out where he finished, and that's Peyton Barber. You can get him at uh, pick 129 in most drafts, which, again, is, is a little bit ridiculous to me. So in fantasy last year, Peyton Barber finished um, – oh, man, where did he go? I just had him up here – as RB30. So two spots behind Naheem Hines with 142 points on the year, and 9.5 average. So you're looking at right now he's going – Right now, the, the the ADP has changed on him. We were talking about this earlier in the season, how Ronald Jones was way ahead of him. He has now jumped back over Ronald Jones again, but still, you're getting a possible starting running back at pick 139, so that's over you know 20 picks behind what Naheem Hines was going. So if he was going at RB45, I'd imagine Peyton is probably going around, or 45, you're talking about probably somewhere around RB50-ish and you can get the starting running back in Tampa Bay, uh, give, give me him all day long, too, because even though I'm not a Peyton Barber believer, if you can get a starting running back in any position, I'm sorry, any position, in any on any team that late in the draft, mid, mid-11th, end of the, or the start of the 12th round, uh, give me that all day long, because there's an easy chance that he shoots up into that RB2 territory.
0: Yeah, at, at r- running back 51 on the oh, ADP man. that I printed off today is where Barber's coming in at... And you know that's a fantastic value. Um, if, and this is the this is the the big thing. If if they don't bring somebody in, you know there's there's a lot of talk. Uh, there's a lot of belief that LaShawn McCoy isn't going to stick in Buffalo. That uh, you know they're going to move on from him. And I, I think that's. Uh, A reasonable expectation Um, but if they just outright cut him does he end up does he go you know I hear a lot of people talking about him going to Kansas City and reuniting with Andy Reid those are clearly people that don't believe in Damian Williams and while I'm not necessarily necessarily a believer in Damian Williams uh, I I also don't know that uh, Shady McCoy is any better than Damian Williams at this point in McCoy's career, um, but if McCoy was to land in Tampa, you know, I I don't know that that's uh, that's not going to be a good thing for Peyton Barber. If they if Barber goes into the season as the starter, uh, then I think that he's uh, he has the potential to really pay off at running back fifty one. If he finishes at running back thirty again, uh, you know, uh, Arians likes to throw the ball to his running back, and we know Ronald Jones isn't going to be able to catch it. Uh, so that'll be Barber. Uh, Barber will get, get some catch some. Uh, excuse me, make, get some carries he, as the starting running back. He's a capable running back. He's not going to make a lot of plays on his own. But if they can give him a little bit of running room, he's going to get you four or five yards. Uh, Bruce Anderson is there. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, the, my only caveat is so much. there's so much time between now and the start of the season that Bar- Barber looks like he's uh, in the lead fairly comfortably right now. But so much can change between now and uh, opening day. Uh, when you're just a guy and and barber is just a guy I was I was substantially higher on him last year than I am this year um, But he just he, you know, he didn't really deliver last year uh, not, you know, I expected the uh, you know mid to high rb2 numbers and uh, to turn up with a uh, 3.7 yards per carry and um, you know just a, a overall Disappointing year for a team that was uh, putting up some offensive numbers. But at RB51, pick 129, that that's a value.
1: Oh, yeah. All right, so the next two players we're going to talk about are both rookies coming into this year. Uh, one of them I'm significantly higher on than the other, but I do like both of them. The first one is, is Justice Hill, uh, the kid out of Oklahoma State that went to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, again, obviously hasn't put up any kind of NFL work. He is a rookie, uh, but I do want to kind of just touch on his stats in his sophomore year at college, uh, where he it was the last time that he was fully healthy. Uh, so he had 268 carries for 1,467 yards, uh, with 15 touchdowns, 31 catches for 190 yards, and a touchdown. He's obviously not likely going to beat out Mark Ingram to rush the ball a lot, and that's fine. That's not necessarily his game. He is a phenomenal pass catcher. He can run the ball, but he is a bit uh, a little bit slider frame, right around 5'10", 200 pounds. But he's a guy that I think is going to be the second fiddle to Mark Ingram. Again, we, we've talked about it before. Do not go crazy when I say that he is going to be, I think, the Ravens' Alvin Kamara to Mark Ingram like he was uh, in New Orleans. He is not Alvin Kamara, people. He he is not going to be that explosive. But I do think if they use him that way, he is going to be a very viable fantasy asset. I could see him finishing in the high-end RB3 category, possibly low-end RB2, but I think that is asking a lot of him uh, and that Ravens offense. However... With the way that Lamar Jackson has been, we could see them lean heavier on the run game to possibly not allow Lamar to run as much as he does. Uh, so I'm really high on Justice Hill. And again, as a, as a guy you can get at 135 in drafts, I think that is a steal for a guy with his upside.
0: You know, he has upside. I'll give you that because he's young and hasn't had a chance to, to show anything. Um that offense is is such a work in progress. While Lamar Jackson tries to figure out how to be an NFL quarterback, that I I'm just not I, I'm just not I'm not buying into Justice Hill. I think that Mark Ingram is going to get the lion's share of the work on the ground, and Ingram is a capable pass catcher. But uh, the guy that I'm quietly stashing wherever I can right now is Kenneth Dixon. Dixon is, was a great receiving back in college, and he's got the size to run the ball. Uh, he ran the ball really well in college. And uh, I think he's, he's like, imagine if Justice Hill was bigger and stronger, then you'd have Kenneth Dixon. Yeah. Now, Dixon can't seem to stay healthy, so there's there's that fly in the ointment, um, but Dixon is is a was a good back when he was younger when he was in college and healthy. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Is Hill worth a shot? It could could he produce? Uh, honestly, it, it's one of those things with rookie running backs. It's all about opportunity, and right now I don't know that I see. Uh, The opportunity, if Ingram stays healthy, I think if Ingram stays healthy, Dixon is, or excuse me, uh, uh, Hill is going to just simply be an occasional change of pace guy because I think Ingram has the tools to be a three-down back. He's shown that he can catch the ball. Uh, He's clearly a powerful running back. So, to me, that sort of leaves... Uh, everybody else, they're picking up scraps. But, again, if Ingram ends up getting injured, then then it's up for grabs. You know, Gus Edwards is Ingram's backup, and Edwards can't catch the ball. So then if it goes to a, a, a duo or a running back by committee, then it, all bets are off, and Hill could easily end up being the guy with the most touches.
1: Yeah, you can count me out on the Kenneth Dixon business. I don't, uh, I don't believe in him one bit. I agree with what you're saying. He's he's obviously an immensely talented back. I remember when he came out. Um, obviously, a lot of people were very high on him, but I just think with the suspensions and the injuries, I, I would, I, I'd rather take a shot on a guy with with the upside of Hill uh, than what you can get with Dixon. However, Dixon's going a much later than Hill as well. I don't even have his ADP. On here, so he's likely a guy you could get at the end of your draft, or possibly even off the waiver wire. Uh, so not a bad grab if that's the route that you guys want to go either. Because if he does end up getting the role that I think Hill will get, you're obviously going to get him for a steal as well. Uh, the next rookie I wanted to talk about was Devin Singletary. Um, uh, he had here. Uh, he's going at 142 right now in drafts. Um, a little bit of an underrated prospect, I think. Um, I think mostly based on his combine performance, he kind of fell down draft boards because he did not produce very well. Um, But, again, in in college, averaging right around six yards a carry, uh, was really good in the receiving game up until his junior year, his last year, but 26 pass catches, uh, 19 in 2017, averaged 7.8 yards a catch on that. Um, You know, just a great runner of the football is in Buffalo now. um, And something that you touched on earlier with LaShawn McCoy, we've been talking about, I think, it feels like for months now that neither one of us thinks LaShawn McCoy is long for Buffalo. We, we both think he is going to get cut. So, again, you have a shot of getting the starting running back for the Buffalo Bills at 142, or at least someone who's going to be a leader in that timeshare, I think, with Frank Gore because uh, I just don't think Frank Gore – uh, as much as he has proved all of us wrong and father time wrong so far, I don't think that he can hold up and be the lead back over a 16 game season. Uh, so the chance to get the starting running back in Buffalo that late in drafts, I think, is a, is a steal as well.
0: Yeah, I like I I like Singletary a lot. Um, you know, he he did take a hit with the combine. Uh, he he ran slow, and I don't think he really improved it a whole lot. Uh, at his pro day, but he was super productive in college and he has really good vision. Um, and, and while he may not be, have long speed fast, he's fairly quick with his feet. So, you know, he, he can get away from, uh, contact pretty easily. And I think that's, what's really helped him to put up some of those gaudy numbers in college. Uh, Earlier in his college career, he caught the ball more, but he ended up uh, trying to remember his because his backup was was drafted, I think, as well, uh, but I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. Ooh, um, I can't remember; I'd have to look. But he, uh, but Singletary, you know, with running backs, it, it's opportunity, you know, and, and if McCoy gets moved out, uh, you know, then he's competing with T.J. Yeldon and frank gore Mm -hmm. and and that's gonna that there's opportunity there uh for whatever reason frank gore is going to continue to get carries in the nfl uh you know and he while he's marginally productive with them uh uh you know he isn't uh he he isn't gonna you know take it the distance i don't think T.J. Yeldon, for as big as he is, is not a power back. He's a good receiving back. I think he's shown that, you know, T.J. Yeldon has kind of turned turned into that veteran backup quarterback of running backs. Mm-hmm. He's a guy you want to have on your team because if something happens to your starter, he's not going to lose the game by making stupid plays. Uh, he's going to play within himself. He's not going to try to do too much, do things that he can't. Uh, but also, he's not going to put the team on his shoulders, though, and will it to victory like your starters will, like your superstars. So he's he's kind of turned into that guy. And, uh, you know, there's a place for that in the NFL, I guess. But I, I like Singletary. You know, when you're getting up here at, at RB 51, 52, 53, um, you, you're looking for – at that point you're you're looking for volume who's going to get the most volume and so right now you know barber's 51 hill is 52 and singletary is 53 um and i would i would rank them barber singletary hill in terms of potential to get touches mm-hmm. all
1: right this last guy that i want to talk and i think is it's kind of getting overlooked by a lot of people, I think we kind of forget how good that this player was and is when the main starter is out. And even when he still plays, he has a role. So I'm just going to kind of read his stats here first, and then I will give you guys who he is. Uh, so he only played in 11 games last year, uh, scored 92.4 points, 8.4 on average, finished as RB51. Again, he did miss five games there, and then he did have, I believe it was, three games there when his uh, the regular starter was out. But he is... Continually putting up really good numbers every single year. Um, last year, 211 yards rushing, um, only four games as a starter. So I apologize we had four games, not three. But 211 yards rushing but and 218 yards receiving um, with just three touchdowns altogether, dealing with injuries and everything. And that's Giovanni Bernard. He has shown that he can be a high-end RB2 in that offense when Joe Mixon is hurt in the past two seasons. A lot of people obviously big on Travion Williams and Rodney Anderson. If you haven't been following the news, Rodney Anderson is going to start the season on the Pup List, not just training camp. Um, I think that a lot of it, in all honesty, is roster manipulation by the Bengals. Uh, They know that he is likely not going to be healthy to start the camp, or even if he is, if they put him on the Pup List, uh, they don't have to send him down to their practice squad, which means another team cannot claim him. So if he stays on there all season long... He then technically can stay on their roster up until next year. They don't have to worry about sending him down to his practice squad because they do have a number of backs there in Cincinnati. Um, I do like Travion Williams, who they obviously also drafted out of Texas A&M. But, again, you are getting him right now extremely late as uh, 164. Uh, So I'll let Dennis tell us what RB that is because he did a better job than me of looking those up. I just wrote the ADPs down. It would have been smarter to write down where they were going uh, as Dennis has him on there but again to get a player that late and again a guy who his starter has suffered with injuries the past couple seasons if Joe Mixon goes down it's going to be Giovanni Bernard's game it is a contract year for him I imagine he's going to want to put up a lot of points so again a guy you can get extremely late maybe if you're the Mixon owner as a handcuff I'm not that big in the handcuffed game in fantasy but maybe you want to grab him or even a guy that you can grab really late in draft that has a chance to way outproduce his adp uh G- give me as much giovanni bernard as i can get in drafts this year
0: yeah Ber- bernard is actually in a really solid situation aside from the injuries to cincinnati's line zach taylor has come out and said that he intends to give bernard 10 to 12 touches per game so that's a uh, for a backup that's a pretty solid uh workload and uh if he can get You know, if he's getting five carries and five receptions, you're looking at, you know, potentially 60 to 70 yards per game. And, uh, you know, that's a nice spot to be in. You know, Taylor's going to try to scheme Bernard open in the passing game. And uh, for somebody in a contract year, that's a a nice situation to be in. I don't think he'll be back with Cincinnati. I think he's going to go somewhere uh, in hopes of trying to get uh, a, a larger share of the the pie, which is reasonable, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get it with Joe Mixon in the fold. Yeah, no. So, you know, he's 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 definitely fifty fifty guy uh, for me. I, I don't think he's somebody that you want to have carrying the load. Uh, I think he's shown uh, early in his career when he was younger that he just can't hold up to the workload of being. Uh, the number one guy. Uh, but he, he's uh, he he's got a good game. Uh, he, he's somebody that can, you know, he can make the plays in the running game. He's a good running back. He just doesn't hold up uh, when he carries the ball a lot. So if he's getting, you know, four, five, six carries a game, catching four or five, six passes, uh, you, you know, if he averages eight or ten yards of uh, reception with, you know, five yards of carry—that's a—that's a good, good volume with yardage, and he has the ability to put up a big play. So uh, I like Bernard at, at running back sixty. You know, he's definitely going to be a flex worthy guy.
1: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I don't know why I was having so much trouble saying absolutely. Moving on to the wide receivers, one of mine, and I believe a guy you are very high on as well, Deshaun Hamilton of the Denver Broncos. He is uh, the highest uh, on this list, at least, of the ADP guys that I pulled out of here. Still, though, going at 122, which I think is extremely low for the guy who's likely going to be the number two in that offense. So don't let this number right here fool you. He finishes 109 in wide receivers last year with 56.4 points, uh, just averaged 5.6 points a week, uh, only really played in 10 games. However, he only started five games last year. And in that time, he got all over throughout the entire year, 45 targets, 30 receptions, 243 yards, 8.1 average, two touchdowns. That's a catch percentage of 66.7, which is outstanding. That was with Case Keenum as quarterback, folks. That That's not Joe Flacco. I mean, we can say what we want about Joe Flacco. He is a better quarterback than Case Keenum. I think we can all give him that. You now have a completely different coaching staff coming in there, Likely them going to be leaning on him and Cortland Sutton a ton. The fact that he is going that late, I think, is a little bit crazy. I, I Give me every share of Deshaun Hamilton that I can find. I own him in a lot of dynasty leagues, and I am excited to see the breakout that he has this year. I don't think he makes it open to that wide receiver two category, but I do think he has a chance to be like a middle to low end three. So if you're in a deeper league with a couple flexes, I think he'd be a perfect throw in there. Uh, But he's definitely a guy you can draft late and it'd be a plug-and-play wide receiver, especially in good matchups.
0: Yeah, uh, where do you go here? Going at wide receiver 54, so that's a wide receiver five. Yeah. Um, I I think he's going to step into that – Oh, what the hell is his name that was injured last year?
1: Emmanuel Sanders or, or Emmanuel Thomas? Sanders. Okay.
0: Boy, it just completely escaped me. Oh, my God. He's got, <laughs> He's a natural fit for that Emmanuel Sanders role. And then Sutton is going to step into the uh, uh, Demarius Thomas, Thomas role. Yeah. Sanders is, is looking good coming back from the uh, uh, torn Achilles. Mm-hmm. But at 32 years old, 31 years old, uh, with a mid-season Achilles injury I, I i i'm skeptical at best that sanders is going to be able to uh really um, contribute a lot this year. So Hamilton is going to have a real strong opportunity. I was just uh you know I, I didn't mark what uh wide receiver that sutton was going at. But sutton is going as uh eight, has an adp of 75 mm-hmm. which is uh let's see so that's 17 wide receivers before hamilton um wow yeah so that that makes him what uh, wide receiver 39 yeah um you know that that puts a lot more pressure on Sutton from a draft capital perspective uh, to produce. Now, I think he he likely will, but I also think that uh, Hamilton is going to kind of end up in that same wide receiver three, wide receiver low, wide receiver two range as well, and uh, at, at uh, an ADP of one twenty two, going off the board as wide receiver fifty four. Uh Deshaun Hamilton is uh, definitely worth the investment.
1: Yes, I, I agree with you 100%. This next player I think is um, is going to be a little bit more of an upside play. We do not know what he's going to be able to do in the NFL. He is a rookie, the The only rookie I have on this list. That's Paris Campbell at 126, so four spots behind Deshaun Hamilton. I have him on here because um, high, high-powered offense. He's going to be probably one of the best offenses in the league, I think T.Y. Hilton and his injury issues are going to help him get the ball even more. You know, if you want to believe in, I can't remember who it is they brought over. It Was Dante Moncrief? Funches. Funches, Funches, there we go. Another guy that I don't believe in. That's why I went Moncrief. Um, but even if they do have Funches out there, he's going to be on the outside with Hilton. Campbell is going to go into the slot. 90 catches for 1,063 yards and 12 touchdowns last year. He also rushed the ball every single year that he played at Ohio State. And and I just want to throw this out there because I was talking with some college guys the other day and someone mentioned something about how good Paris Campbell was and I went and looked into it. They said that they thought he might have been one of the best wide receivers that Urban Meyer has ever coached. Stats-wise, he is the best wide receiver that Urban Meyer has ever coached. He is out by yardage and touchdowns, outscored every single wide receiver that Urban Meyer has ever had on his team from Utah to Florida, to Ohio State. That's a big deal in my opinion because Urban Meyer has always been known as being an offensive coach. Now, yes, I understand he's mostly had quarterbacks who could not throw the ball like Dwayne Haskins could. I think that's why he took such a big jump last year uh, because before that, 120 yards in his sophomore year, 584 yards in his junior year. The big jump came because he was playing with a quarterback who was not afraid to throw the ball down the field. Guess what Andrew Luck is not afraid to do? throw the ball down the field, and sling the ball to open targets. If Paris Campbell is put in the slot, I know we have both talked about it. He is a dynamic weapon. Uh, and, and one thing that the Colts have already come out and said, a lot of people, including I think both of us, uh, you know, because we are both Ohio State fans, we watched every Ohio State game, and we said it, it looks like his route tree is a little bit limited because that's what Urban Meyer had, in, had him run. The Colts have already come out and say. We were wrong, because they said the same thing. No, this guy can run every single route in the route tree. He he knows what he's doing. He is he studied, and he knows what he's doing. We were wrong in him being limited in his route tree. If that is true, and that's not just camp talk that came out earlier in the preseason when they were allowed to all come into camp, Paris Campbell, I think, has a chance to be a huge weapon, not just in dynasty, but in redrafts, in an amazing offense, and... Maybe I c- I could be dead wrong on this, as we we have seen throughout the years. Wide re- rookie wide receivers do not always produce, so this could be a huge stab in the dark. But I'm gonna take it based purely on the what I what I'm thinking is a huge upside he has in this offense with the weapon he is and the offense that he is in.
0: You know, I'm as big a Paris Campbell fan as anybody, uh, and he's going off the board at wide receiver 57 uh, overall. Uh, 126 so that's what that's almost c48 that's end of the it's low wide receiver five Mm -hmm. and 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 i think that's where you have to take him uh if you want him but i i'm i I have i'm a little bit skeptical there's a a lot of mouths to feed in uh, indianapolis and while that offense is going to be highly productive you know, where is he on the pecking, or pecking order chart? You know, he's definitely after T.Y. Hilton. Uh, he's going to be after Ebron. He's going to be after Doyle. He's, he's likely going to be after Funchess, um, possibly after Naheem Hines. So now you're talking, he's, so he's going to be in that fifth or sixth slot. At best case scenario, he's going to start the season as the fifth or sixth man on the totem pole. And then he's going to have to work his way up, and up to where fourth, you know, third. He's he's definitely not going to be above Hines. Uh, he's probably not going to be above uh, the Doyle Ebron combination, um, or he's definitely not going to be above Hilton. Was the first one I, I meant, not Hines. Um, so you know, third or fourth in the pecking order is is probably. His max this year, and it's likely going to take some time for him to ascend to that position. So, uh, do I think he'll outperform wide receiver fifty-seven? Yeah, I, I I feel like he will. But do I think he's going to be top thirty-six? Uh, I don't think he's going to move that high. So, uh, it, it, he's going to he, he'll have some boom games. And then he's going to have some bus games. And uh, so for me, I'm probably not going to get many shares of him Mm -hmm. uh, in in redraft just because I'm probably not going to be willing to, to spend that capital on him there.
1: Fair enough. The next guy I know we're going to have a a difference of opinion on because I know you think another wide receiver in Buffalo is going to take a step forward. But I've got Robert Foster on here, uh, a guy who had a really good connection toward the end of the year with Josh Allen, uh, currently being drafted at 131 in draft. So I just kind of was looking over Robert Foster's stats, and over the entire year he finishes wide receiver 80, which does not sound that impressive. But if you go back and look at his stats from when he actually started starting games back in week 6 through week 14 before he got injured, 82 points, 13.7 a week jumped him all the way up to wide receiver 44 on the year. Now again, not that impressive, but he's a guy that you can get late. Again, we were just talking about Paris Campbell was going in the late 50s. So he's going at least, what was that, what did I just say, 131. So five picks after that, so he's going likely in the 60s. So again, a wide, low-end wide receiver five is what you're drafting him as. A guy I think you could easily outproduce that. Again, if you believe in Zay Jones, which I have a feeling is who Dennis is going to talk about here uh, with the Buffalo wide receivers, he's actually going even later. I didn't pull up his ADP, but I know it's at least 10 spots below Foster, if I remember correctly. Uh, so, But either one of these guys, whether you're a Foster believer or a Zay Jones believer, to be able to get these guys as low-end wide receiver fives in drafts, both of which I think will – outproduce those adps um are steals for me and both who have a chance to be the number ones in buffalo if you i, I think it's going to be foster if you think it's going to be zay jones one of those guys is going to be the one one of them is likely going to be the two uh josh allen has to throw the ball to somebody uh, so i think that those two guys really have a good shot to outproduce their adps this year
0: yeah the you know it's it's hard to figure out exactly how buffalo is gonna shake out um you know everybody uh talks about Josh Allen having a big arm uh not terribly accurate and uh but if if you can stretch the field that's that's what your uh th- that's what's going to that's where you're going to end up getting the ball from uh uh From Allen, and uh, Jones has been kind of pigeonholed as a a possession guy, but he ran a four four five forty at the combine, so he doesn't lack speed. Uh, Foster ran a four four one, so it's not like there is a ton of difference in their uh, their long speed. Uh, Let's see, Foster had a four point two. Uh, short shuttle Jones had a 4.01 short shuttle. See, Jones had a 6.793 cone, uh, Foster had a 6.93 cone, so it would all kind of point to uh, Jones being uh, the better athlete, um, but Jones is going at 183. Versus Foster at one thirty-one. Yeah, and I, you know, that's you know, I'll pick. I'll take Jones fifty picks later. You know, I do. I think I. I got to be honest. Any of them—Jones, Foster, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Duke Williams—any one of them could lead that team in receiving. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that, that is the frustrating part about Buffalo. I agree with you there um, because we, we don't know. I think that's one of the teams that we really are going to have to pay attention to when it comes to camp time and preseason and everything going on because there's just so so many different varieties and different ways that they could go, not just in the wide rec- uh, the, the receiving game but at tight end and in the running game too, although they've really been talking of Dawson Knox at tight end, so maybe, maybe he's going to be the go there. Uh, this next guy... I'm actually going to skip him. I was thinking about it earlier. I don't think that he is uh, – I'm a believer in D.D. D. Westbrook, and he's going higher than him. I had Marquise Lee on here at 197. I just don't think Marquise Lee is going to be much of anything in Jacksonville. If you want to touch on him, you can. But I, I, the more I thought about it and looked at the list, I kind of felt like he was uh, – one that stands out on there is one I'm not really looking to grab.
0: Nah, we can skip him.
1: Works for me. The next guy, I'm not sure where you're going to go with this. Uh, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not. I've talked about it a lot, wrote an article for Dynasty Nerds about it, Um, is Antonio Callaway. So he's going at 198. Again, if you guys want to look up, go to Dynasty Nerds. Uh, I had a huge article about him on... Just the difference in his game from where he was in the second half of the season when Freddie Kitchens was the quarterback, quarterback the head coach and offensive coordinator compared to when Hugh Jackson was there. He was a completely different wide receiver. Uh, his stats and everything alone, you could tell he had been working on catching the ball. Maybe it was just more comfortability with Baker there and the better play calling, uh, but he completely turned his catch percentage around, went from almost 50% to up to 66% catch rate in the second half of the season. I think he has a real shot at being the number two in Cleveland over Jarvis Landry. Uh, And, again, he's a guy that you can get extremely late um, at 198, so right right outside the 200 in a draft, which is just ridiculous because he he has extreme amounts of talent. And I, I know a lot of people's argument against him is that, well, they only have one ball. But the argument I have against that is Baker Mayfield is not someone who's going to throw the ball to one player. He's going to throw it to the player that gets open, Um, and that'll be the last thing I reference is again in that article. uh, I talk about how likely Antonio Callaway is going to be getting the weakest matchup against that secondary every single week because he's going to benefit playing opposite of... Odell and Jarvis Landry. Um, the last thing I know, Dennis has, has brought up, and he is not wrong when they go to two wide receiver sets. Antonio Callaway will be on the bench, but I think his production when he is out on the field is going to outproduce the times that he is on the bench. Uh, so he's a guy again. I'll take toward the end of my draft every single time because you will be able to get him at the in the the last couple rounds of a draft, or possibly even off the waiver wire heap, uh, depending on how deep your draft is.
0: Yeah, Callaway is definitely going to be a flex worthy player. I, I, I buy into your theory that uh, he's going to be playing against the third best defensive back on whatever opposing team uh, they're playing. Uh, OBJ is going to get the the top cornerback. Uh, many teams uh, they have their slot cornerback is one of the top one or two guys because so many teams are playing uh, 11 personnel now that they have three cornerbacks on the field at all times. And that nickel guy uh, is matched up against the second best guy on the, on the receiving core uh, because they're moving him into the slot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if I've got Callaway matched up against the third best cornerback, that's a beautiful matchup that can be exploited. Uh, and, and, that leaves him uh, in a position to definitely outperform his wide receiver seventy seven uh, draft capital. Uh, that's that's oh, just man. that's super super low. You know, I was big on Callaway last year, and, and I got to be honest, I was I was looking so forward to a breakout year this year. Uh, you know, I still think he, he can can break out and have a, a good year. Uh, just would have been so much nicer to not have to, to have uh, OBJ on the other side gobbling up targets. Yeah. You know, I don't think ba- Baker doesn't force the ball anywhere. Um, but he's definitely, I think he definitely understands that uh, when you have a talent like OBJ, that you, you, you know, you're going to need to take some chances and, uh, and let him make the play whether he's open or not. So that's, that is going to affect the target distribution maybe a little more than we want to admit. Um, but, you know, Callaway is going to benefit from playing against the, the weaker defensive player.
1: Yeah, so the last guy that I have here on my list is Quincy Nuna. He is going outside the top 200 uh, with a pick of 207. Again, a, a very productive player in his time with Josh uh, it was Josh McCowan that was there uh, before um, my goodness why did I just forget his name Sam darnold uh, before Sam darnold uh, he, he produced fairly well with him he's a guy that I think has a chance to be right there is one of the better wide receivers on this team uh, obviously you got Robbie Anderson who's going to be the number one um Where I'm a little concerned for him is I think Quincy Inouye would play most of the time in this slot and was a phenomenal slot wide receiver. They did bring over Jamison Crowder, who is likely going to move into the slot, so it's going to push Quincy Inouye, I would think, to the outside does seem to be fully healthy after dealing with the neck injury and all that stuff in the past couple seasons uh but a guy that i think i would take a real shot on um in an offense and in a team that is uprising again at 207 i mean callaway was going at 198 and you said he was wide receiver 77 so i would assume a noon was right around 80 um i mean that's just ridiculous value in my opinion and, and again At this point in the draft, you're grabbing guys who have – I mean, he's proven that he can be a top-wide receiver, so you can grab a guy who has a chance to be a top-wide receiver in an offense, and if he isn't, you cut him in week one or week two and grab a guy who is ascending. This is not a guy you have to keep on your roster all year, but I was trying to find a couple guys in Callaway and Inunua that you could literally grab as one of your last draft picks and could ascend up and and really kind of give you a steal based on their ADPs.
0: Yeah, that's I think that the the fly in the ointment for Anunua is going to be Jamison Crowder. Yeah. Um Inunua is going to be I think he's going to start the season as that second outside receiver. Um but he also did pretty well in the slot last year when he was healthy too. So if uh Crowder is healthy then uh you know that that takes sort of takes away opportunity share for Anunua because um, Anderson is the more dynamic outside receiver of the two. Uh, Anunua is a, a a good receiver, but I just don't know with with Adam Gase's offense, it's going to be hard to decipher starting the year uh, how how is the target distribution going to break down? Mm-hmm. You know because you also have Lev Bell there who's going to yeah. be Uh, fighting for targets as well. And as somebody who's so adept at catching the ball out of the backfield, uh, that could very well uh, siphon targets from somewhere. Um, So Anun was as good a dice roll as you're going to find at 207. I mean, he's going as wide receiver 80. And and if you, you, uh, you know, I certainly, he's going around guys like Maurice Harris uh you know probably you know Cole Beasley is going at 216 I I could see taking Beasley over a Nunwa uh-huh. but Randall Cobb is going just before him David Moore you know I I don't necessarily like either one of those uh over a AJ Brown is a rookie and I think there's going to definitely be some Uh, struggle in in that offense uh, as they try to pound the ball in Tennessee Taylor Gabriel in Chicago I think he's going to be pushed down the totem pole so uh, a has is is as good a dice roll as you're going to find that late in the draft
1: All right, so let's go to the the tight ends now and and wrap this up. There's really only three guys that I was noticing that I would really take, and I think all three have tremendous upside, especially the last guy who I think his ADP is going to drop even more with some of the news that came out recently that we actually haven't even had a chance to touch on yet. Uh, So for starters, Mark Andrews at 140, we saw him last year, really kind of become one of Lamar Jackson's outlet guys and one of the guys he trusted the most. Not surprising to me is I was one of the guys who was boosting him and, and talking about Mark Andrews being one of the best, if not the best tight end in this class last year. Just based on what he did at Oklahoma, he proved that he is a phenomenal offensive threat. Um, you know, I think it's fair not a, not a fair comparison to make because I think Noah Font, or Fant is uh, better than him, but I would almost say the comparisons between Andrews and Hayden Hurst last year are very comparable to – Hawkinson and Fant this year and that Hawkinson went before Fant and was by far the more complete tight end because he can block and produce offensively Uh, and we saw that in the draft prior where Hayden Hurst went before Mark Andrews they actually went obviously to the same team in Baltimore Hayden Hurst is the more complete tight end he can block and he can do stuff offensively, but in my opinion, Mark Andrews is by far the better offensive player um, in, that, in that offense. And I think that with what he showed toward the end of last year really being a, a top, top-tier talented tight end in fantasy, he will continue to do that with Lamar Jackson as long as they have him on the field, which I think is the probably his biggest question mark going in this year. But again, getting him at 140 and a chance to get a, a top-tier tight end I think is, is a steal in most drafts.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Mark Andrews at tight end thirteen. When I look at the top ten, you know, I I certainly would take you know any of the big three, even uh, even at their ADPs, uh, I'm going to take them. You know, Ertz is going. You know, as I say that out loud, I'm probably going to pass on Ertz at twenty (laughs) nine. And probably on Kittle at twenty-seven, uh, unless it's a tight end premium league, I'm probably uh, I'm probably not gonna. I and that's just my style. Yeah. I don't invest in the tight end early. Um, so you got OJ Howard at sixty-three. So that's in the uh, fifth round there, uh, sixth round actually, early sixth round. Um, and uh, Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram. Uh, in the, the late 6th, early 7th. But I'm going to, you know, I'd take Mark Andrews over Eric Ebron, who's going at 93, tight end 7, or, or Jared Cook at 95, tight end 8. And then David Joku's going at overall 99, tight end 9. You know, somebody has to uh, lose in Cleveland, and I feel like it's going to be Joku when it comes to the targets. I think he'll have some boom weeks. I think he's going to be relegated next season to a a, a boom-bust category, which is going to be very frustrating. At tight end 13, I think Andrews provides that top eight potential uh, on a team that's not going to throw the ball a ton. Uh, I I think he's going to be – he's developed a chemistry already with uh, Lamar Jackson – And I think he's going to continue to build on that. Uh, He's a former wide receiver when he got to college. And and we've seen uh, Baker Mayfield uh, as a mobile quarterback. uh, Andrews kind of knows how to work with a quarterback like that. And I think that showed early last year when Jackson started playing. And and, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Andrews uh, led Baltimore in targets.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. That's, again, one of the reasons why I'm pretty big on him, and it's someone you can get really late. Uh, Next for me is Dallas Goddard in Philadelphia. So he's going at an ADP of 148. I know you got Zach Ertz there, and he is obviously going to eat up a lot of the points, but Zach uh, Zach Ertz, uh, Dallas Goddard finished with 84.7 points last year, 6.1 a week. Uh, finished as a tight end 21 last year. I think that that is going to shoot up. Philly will use a lot of two tight end sets. They used him a lot. They said that he's really progressed in the offense earlier in the camp this year, and he really kind of progressed as the season went on. I think he has a real shot, nowhere near going to take down Zach Ertz. Uh, I think we can all admit Zach Ertz is right there, as you were just talking about with Kelsey and Kill, as one of the best tight ends in the league. But I do think Goddard has that kind of red zone upside, touchdown upside, and he will get some work in the middle of the field as well. Um, and he showed last year in a couple of his runs that he is a a, a yak machine. Once he gets that ball, he is athletic enough to get, the, to, to get some yardage after the fact. So a guy that you can get a little bit later, I mean, that's probably you, – you'll be able to tell us here in a minute. I'm guessing probably tied in 15 or 16. I take Bingo. A sh- okay. So, yeah, I would take a shot on him 100% because, again, while people are drafting the guys that you were just talking about Eric Ebron, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, rounds beforehand, you're getting better depth at your running back and wide receiver while they're taking a shot on tight ends. When you could get a guy like Dallas Goddard, Mark Andrews, and the guy we're about to mention here in a minute who could all possibly outproduce. Probably not Evan Ingram, but I could see easily outproducing Eric Ebron uh, and David Njoku, and you're getting them rounds later. So give me all the Dallas Goddard that I can take. Uh, Again, maybe he's only going to get you three or four points a week, but those weeks that he scores your touchdowns, he's going to get you double digits, and that's going to help you probably win the tight end position unless you're going up against one of those top three guys.
0: You know, the, the, the question you have to ask yourself with Goddard is, do I think Philadelphia can sustain two tight end ones? And if you if you think the answer is yes, then, then I think you go Goddard uh, at tight end 15 or, or higher. Um, I don't think, I, I think when you look at the numbers at the end of the season, I could see Goddard uh, grading out as a, scoring out as a tight end one but i think he's going to be kind of volatile and and so that's so you have to pair him with somebody and if it's not best ball then you're trying to guess which week is he going to score the touchdown which week is he going to get the five receptions and the big play so he gets the yardage because Ertz is going to get the volume and and so i i think that it, it's one of those things you have to this is where I think uh, bringing Bob Long's consistency guide into the mix uh, is is going to really be uh, the way you're going to have to look at it. Is Goddard going to score as a tight end one? I, I could see Goddard being tight end ten, eleven, twelve on the season, but I could see it coming based on happening based on three or four big games because the tight end scoring is. You know, I think tight end 12 last year in PPR was, you know, eight or nine points a game. So at, at that rate, it, it only takes a couple, two or three big games to boost your season average. So I'm probably not going to go for Goddard at that in this area because I am I want somebody I, because I'm probably going to draft uh, Mark Andrews, you know, eight picks sooner. Because I feel like Andrews will get the consistent volume that Goddard won't. So that's kind of where I come in. I I like Goddard as a talent. I just feel like Urch is going to continue to siphon those targets.
1: Yeah, I I don't necessarily disagree with you. Like I said, I think a lot of it will come down to if Philly continues to run the two tight end sets like they used to when they had Trey Burton there. Um, and, and kind of what they've done for a long time, but it will be reliance on that because as I said, there they he's not going to he's not gonna take he's not gonna be there and get Zach Ertz off the field, I guess is the best way to put it. At least not right now. Until Zach Ertz leaves Philadelphia, he's going to be. The, the number one guy, so Dallas Goddard is likely going to be a guy that's going to rely heavily on the red zone, but I, but I will take those chances. The last guy that I want to talk on is your guy, so I'm really going to let you have the floor here. You you were you were pounding the floor for him even last year before most people were, uh, and that's Chris Herndon. So we do have to count in for the fact that he is suspended for four games due to the the stuff that he had going on this off season, but still. At an ADP of 159, again, I do think that will drop some because of the four-game suspension. I would imagine he'll at least drop even just a couple spots, if not more than that. But a guy who is one of the best receiving options outside of – I would say probably outside of Robbie Anderson, he is the best receiving – well, Le'Veon Bell. Forgot Bell was there. So outside those two is the best receiving option that Sam Darnold has. We saw that those two had a great connection last year. So just your thoughts on Chris Herndon. Where do you think he could finish as a tight end, again, factoring in the four-game suspension and, and the fact that he's going so late in drafts right now?
0: Well, I I, I feel like Herndon is going to score on a points-per-game basis as a tight end one. Um, overall, I think he'll finish uh, lower because he's going to miss four games. Most people had baked in a two-game suspension in their evaluations uh, of Herndon, and and maybe it does get appealed down to two games, but the the four games, you know, that takes him out of the the mix for twenty five percent of the fantasy season. Um, you know, he is a I, I like Herndon a lot. He's somebody I have on numerous dynasty teams, uh, and he he's a really good receiving threat. He he's a, a capable blocker. Um, maybe he doesn't excel there, but he's willing. Um, but the chemistry that he showed with, uh, Darnold, uh, is going to be tough to deny. And so when Herndon does come back, uh, you know, I think he steps right back into his role as the starting tight end and, uh, starts to push for, push for targets. I, I think having him on the field makes that jets team a much more dynamic team. And, uh, 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 ADP of 159 You know the trouble with So he's already going very very late And so in redraft I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna let him go undrafted And then maybe pick him up week two
1: Uh-huh
0: On waivers is probably how I would play it And so there's You know I'm willing to risk missing it I think Okay and seeing if I can uh, add somebody, you know, because most most redraft rosters are, what, 16 spots?
1: Yeah, roughly 15, So,
0: so, you know, I'm probably not going to tie up uh, a roster spot the first couple weeks with somebody that's going to be out four weeks. You know, I think you'd have to get him after week two Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to get him, if you play that game. Uh, I think others will be uh, coming after him after week three, trying to play the get him one week early. So I think if you do play the don't draft him and get him on waivers, uh, you're going to do it after week two.
1: Yeah, not, not a bad strategy. Um, I, I would be a little worried that he might go in the drafts, but if you see or you think that he's going to be undrafted, that that would be a solid strategy to take. I mean, if you've got uh, any kind of IR spots that allow suspension players to get put on, he would be someone to, uh, I would probably grab as my last pick and then just throw him on that uh that IR list for a couple of weeks. Now, not every league allows that, so that would be something you'd have to check on on your league settings and rules and see how that works out. But, yeah, I mean, I would think I'm right there with you. If he's someone who you think is going to go undrafted, and he might. Like we said, we don't know this ADP has not been updated since uh, since that news kind of broke out, or maybe it has, and he's been falling more. I'd have to look more into it. But if he falls to a point where he's going undrafted, you would likely have to get him in week two. I don't think you could, you could wait till week three because that's when most people are probably going to try and grab him. So guys, that that'll... Yeah, Over
0: actually, oh, over the past five weeks, he's dropped from one thirty eight down to one seventy three. Okay. Um. So he's av- with the average of one fifty nine. So. Gotcha.
1: So yeah. So he's dropping if I'm like a rock.
0: That correctly.
1: So yeah, I mean, like I said, if he's really going to go undraft, like you were saying, that that's a solid strategy to go with. And and if you have, if you're in a deeper league, uh, I would I would definitely try and grab him though before he goes. Uh, and not get a chance. But if you're in, like Dennis was saying, a 15-16 roster spot league, let him go undrafted and try and grab him uh, in week two. So that, that will do it for us today, guys. We, we appreciate you guys listen to, listening to us. Uh, if you get a minute, please give us a rate and review. We would really appreciate it. Uh, if you don't want to leave a review, a uh, rate works just fine too. It takes all of like three seconds. So uh, we would really appreciate it if you guys could do that. It, it really helps us out. Uh, before we cut out of here, Dennis, uh, let everybody know again where they can find you on Twitter and if you got anything going on with the Nerd Herd.
0: Well, they can find me uh, August 18th at the Midwest Fantasy Football Expo up in Canton, Ohio at the Canton Cultural Arts Center. I'll be up there repping the uh, uh, Fantasy Football Roundtable. Lots of great things going on there. Uh, uh, Dynasty Nerds is going to be there. The Fantasy Footballers, football diehard Bob Harris will be there. Uh, It's going to be quite a great time. You're going to have live podcasting going on. Uh, mock drafting experts mock drafting there will be panels discussion panels uh, it's going to be a fantastic time so uh, Matt's not going to be there because we decided we'd take him to Vegas instead so yeah I, mean, uh,
1: I, I love Cleveland, Vegas, Canton, Vegas Cleveland, you know yeah, Ohio, yeah, a, it was a really hard decision I will say that but Vegas ended up winning just barely by a smidge by a smidge
0: just by a nose yeah. by a nose um, so I'll, I'll be up there, though, on the 18th, shaking hands and kissing babies. Uh, feel free to stop by, say hi, spin the wheel and knowledge. And then, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing more editing at Dynasty Nerds. We just released uh, rounds two and three of the uh, analytics team's uh, rookie mock draft. That just came out. Uh, that's pretty cool. I've taken that. That. 10,000 word document and I've split it up into three, three, uh, three different articles so it's a little easier to consume uh, so more, more of my time has been taken up doing editing now that I'm the managing editor as opposed to writing and that's a blast I kind of dig it it's uh, been a lot of fun so we've added some new writers uh, we'll be releasing uh, 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 they've kind of announced it but we'll, we'll be releasing some uh, uh, sort of welcome to the team uh for all of them as they've come on board so we can make sure everybody's getting their follows uh you can find me on on twitter at culture underscore coach uh reach out ask me questions i love to answer questions uh feel free to dm me if you don't want to hear my stupid answer in public uh that that'll be fine too
1: yeah as i said earlier you can find me at sports fanatic md uh we really do appreciate you guys listening to us, and we will be back on Thursday with a new episode. So, Dennis, I look forward to talking to you again on Thursday. Have a great day.
0: Right on. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your on ready? I came like the wrong line already. It is the zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would
1: be honored. Throw it up above his head. They
0: can't jump and lead. Golly. Only oh, they tackle him in the corner. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. I can.